All right, welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's a podcast that is currently being hosted by me in Las Vegas, as you can see behind me, Kyle Sconowell, and my longtime friend from work, Robbie Earl, live from Austin, Texas. Now, it's not every day you get this kind of view behind you, so if my lighting gets a little wonky, it's just so that you can see the beautiful Las Vegas sunrise during wow. the course of this podcast episode, okay? So you're going to watch the sun come up over those mountains. Just nice. I want to see some I want to see some folks bleary-eyed straggling out of the uh, casinos <laughs> there. Well, I am in a casino, but this is a golf course, so may maybe I guess, maybe I don't know. <laughs> oh, fair. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's I, the best uh, hotel view I've ever had for my tastes with mountains and golf courses outside my window. Oh, so. that is nice. That is nice. I, you can't quite, if you're watching the video, you can sort of tell, but you may not be able to tell. Yes. This is a yes. new, a newly painted wall behind me, and it is in fact a green wall. I did. I went to all of that trouble just in honor of the show that we're covering yes. this week. Equally we, as you beautiful know, of a view. Your yeah, new oh, wall. exactly. I mean, we started this podcast and just to show people that maybe haven't been here since the beginning, our level of commitment. Yeah. We started off with me intentionally traveling into you know, every country that some of the creators on the films we were covering had either been from or where the movies had been filmed. And I'm just trying to bring that level of commitment back, you know, painting the wall every time. <laughs> Next time we cover uh, Thor Love and Thunder, it's just going to be like all pink and purple. Oh, man, I love it. You could do some zany art for that. Get some goats on oh, the back. Yeah, yeah I, okay. I want to get some like goat heads. <laughs> you probably could find some people in Texas to talk to, to do that. Honestly. <laughs> Welcome to this new episode. I am so stoked to talk about Loki episode two. This is going to be a two-parter today because we had some breaking news here on the podcast this week while I've been traveling. I love that one. That's one of my favorites. So I'm a little bit late to this. Um, here's what I want to do with this breaking news. This is actually a really big deal, I think, for more reasons than just this specific news. So I'm going to mm -hmm. drop the bombshell for those of you who don't know this. And then I'm going to read a few clips from this Hollywood Reporter article here. Here's the bombshell. Daredevil, which was supposed to originally release next season, has entirely started over. They fired all of the writers and the directors and are completely starting from scratch. So real quick, glass half empty. Yes, it means we're going to have to wait a lot longer. I'm guessing now 2025 because they have to totally restart, reshoot right. things. I think they even had most of it shot, I think. So hmm. they're restarting, not to mention Glass Half Empty. It's not my money, but the amount of money they're going to lose on that project. I don't know the details of this. I'm sure actors probably have to renegotiate, I would imagine, because they already filmed part of a show and then they got to do another show. I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, new new crew rates, new cameras, new lenses, more time on editing, crazy. But while that's the glass half empty, if you actually dive into this Hollywood Reporter article, which I'm about to do, I actually think there's some pretty good stuff in here. And here's why. Mm -hmm. If you read this, did you actually read it, by the way? I did. I think one of the biggest takeaways is that Kevin Feige is aware of the complaints people have had on the 
TV side of things. Mm-hmm. And Marvel Studios is doing something about it. So for the yeah. people who were mad about the way some of the Disney Plus shows started, you can't read this and not be excited, I would think. I agree. And, and the, like I took it as... as and, you know, we've said this before whenever we've talked about Marvel just changing their pacing on the TV side. Well, really, in general, on the TV and film side. How, like, yeah, it's a bummer to not get the kind of constant flow of new Marvel stuff. But also, I think I would rather... I think almost everything that we've gotten in Phase 4, I still would argue is really good. And I think that people would probably know that having listened to the last few years of our coverage. But I wouldn't argue that it's mostly, like excellent necessarily uh or or like that it's all been on the level of kind of what we were used to prior to that i think some of it has been not gonna get into all that my point is agreed this to me is another like okay like if if this means that there's a step back and then there's going to be at least an intentionality there that maybe hasn't been felt as much i think that's great news especially for a show like daredevil because you gotta get that one right Yes. Talk about a show that like people will <laughs> eviscerate Marvel if they don't get this right, because there's such a community of people that feel like Marvel TV has never risen to the heights of of Netflix Marvel, which is funny because really, I think that they're just talking about like season one of Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Uh, but there is a contention out there. And so I think obviously, well, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about like, that was just a given, (laughs) I think, uh, I I think that it's smart for them to kind of step back and reading through the article. And I'm sure you're going to quote some of this. I, I kept thinking like, man, hearing about the projects that had some of the same, it, it seems like some of the same issues that they just kind of, rolled through like I, I I found myself wishing like okay if things were getting rocky with secret invasion I, I I would have preferred that like I would have preferred like let's push secret invasion back and get yes, it to where right. everyone involved is really happy you know same with like even projects that I really loved hearing that there was that kind of discord behind the scenes makes me wish that they, they had the opportunity for those that we had here. And so, I, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's great news. But I'll let you get into the, the actual nitty-gritty of it. Yeah, I'll just read this. You know, I think it's not just time, by the way. It's not just pushing it back for more time. It's also a culture shift a little bit because Marvel has yeah. never really approached TV on this level. So listen to this. It's a little bit wordy, but I think these are very important things if you're a Marvel fan. Even though they remain, along with Star Wars titles, the most watched shows on Disney+, Plus, Marvel series have faced recent challenges and a number of creative challenges and cries of diminishing returns from critics and audience metrics, causing a major shift at the studio to move to make TV shows the more traditional way. Quote from Brad Windebron, we're trying to marry the Marvel culture with the traditional television culture. It comes down to how can we tell stories in television that honor what's so great about the source material? With Daredevil's new direction, Robbie... Marvel hopes to right the ship on a project with sky-high expectations, as we just said. The show is Marvel's first to feature a hero who has already had a running successful series on Netflix, running three seasons, but sources say that Corman and Ord, the original writers, crafted a legal procedural 
that did not resemble the Netflix version. Known for its action and violence, Cox didn't even show up in costume until the fourth episode. Marvel, after greenlighting the concept, found itself needing to rethink the original intention of the show. On the Oscar Isaac star Moon Knight, show creator and writer Jeremy Slater quit and director Mohamed Diab took the reins. Jessica Gao developed and wrote She-Hulk but was sidelined once director Kat Koro came on board. Production was challenging with COVID hitting the cast and crew and Gao was brought back to oversee post-production, a typical showrunner duty, but it's the rare Marvel head writer who had such oversight. Okay, anyways, that's a lot, but here's where the article wraps up with what they're going to do. This is where it matters to us. As it moves forward, Marvel is making concrete changes in how it makes TV. It now has plans to hire showrunners. Gao's post-production work on She-Hulk helped Marvel see that it would be helpful for its shows to have a creative through line from start to finish. The studio also plans on having full-time TV executives. Rather than having executives straddle both television and film, it also is revamping its development process. Showrunners will write pilots and show Bibles the days of Marvel shooting an entire series from She-Hulk to Secret Invasion, then looking at what's working and what's not are done. Wow. I mean, yeah, yeah, I I think, you know, what's interesting, and I've already seen a lot of folks in the Friends From Work Discord kind of chatting about that. Uh, Quick plug here. If you haven't listened yet, after our Loki season two, episode one review, we published uh, an interview with the writers of this book. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was a ton of fun. Regardless, you should go listen to it. It was one of my favorite interviews that, that we've done in terms of just my own enjoyment. Uh, but if you're I also not think watching, it, it's the Reign of Marvel Studios book, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And so the reason I bring this up is ahead of that interview, uh, I made a point to kind of dig into their coverage of phase four just because I was kind of curious. Mm-hmm. We were recording our Loki episode the same day we were talking with them and I just kind of wanted to get in their headspace there. And it's kind of crazy how much Joanna and Dave and Gavin like almost diagnosed the exact issue and kind of predicted the, if not predicted, uh, you know, handed Marvel the solution, I guess. I know some people are joking that Feige read the book and then made these calls. Uh, But if you do want to learn any more about kind of what the model has looked like. Mm. I would really recommend this book. We talked about it a little bit in the interview, but it's it is really fascinating. I mean the the book covers the the entire the history, the ascendancy of Marvel Studios starting kind of back with the the pre-MCU stuff. And it's fascinating to see Kevin Feige along the way figure out what worked and how to separate the MCU the way that he did and then kind of see how that there was difficulty translating that post endgame mm. into the TV era. And I think the films were were impacted by that. Like, I'm not saying that it's the like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say the TV shows are the only things that have that have suffered some in phase four or have been controversial. I think that it's hi Samwise. It's it's kind of like uh, they're in tandem in some ways because I remember like way back when they first announced Disney Plus and they first announced that there would be Marvel content there. I remember 
Feige saying that his plan was to try to like, like he felt like the movies were working, that that system was in place. So he was going to kind of turn his attention more to TV because that's what needed to be built. And I think that like what you're talking about with having full-time TV execs, like I, I think that that, I think that's a great sign because I do feel mm-hmm. like it's felt a bit like Marvel Studios is stretched, like butter mm-hmm. scraped over too much bread, oh, if you will. I am very hungry this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really good too. We talked a lot in previous episodes and with Joanna and Dave last week about how Marvel has never been fan reactionary and sometimes how Star Wars and Lucasfilm was too fan reactionary. I think this is the perfect balance. I didn't read this article. I don't take anything from that book to be that Marvel necessarily regrets everything they've done. It doesn't now mean that everything in phase four was bad. None of that. It's just changing the process after getting a lot of feedback. So it's like Kevin heard everything for the last two years, processed it all, some of it good, some of it bad, and now Mm -hmm. we're making wholesale wholesale changes for the future, but it doesn't feel as knee-jerk of like, oh, we got to change everything. And and honestly, that's partially portrayed by the series we're about to talk about because Loki is still very good. I'm enjoying it very much, and that is a six-episode miniseries. The same thing Mm -hmm. they're kind of talking about getting getting away from and doing multi-season serial-type TV. So Mm -hmm. if they were totally clean slating, I don't think they would still plan on putting out things like Echo, Loki right now, et cetera. And so I think it's a perfect balance of taking the criticism, learning from it, and then hopefully for us as fans, getting a much better 2025, 2026 uh, with just some absolute bangers, hopefully. I wonder how much the like the added scrutiny or maybe like just the the heightened investment from from the fan community has has impacted Marvel's attempts to be non-reactionary like I I and I could be wrong but I just think back like as someone who's long been a Marvel fan and as someone who is an MCU fan from pretty early on like I even think you know in like 20 15, 2016, like when movies were coming out that I really loved, I was not plugged in to the production news and the rumors and like anything like what it was by the time we got to like in game, but especially like post in game, like because of the of the break that we had with COVID and the, the anticipation for WandaVision, it was like it felt like as soon as things started with phase four, every little thing that Marvel did was like under a magnifying glass. And I think that that's not just Marvel. I think that that's, that's kind of the, the entertainment industry in general. It's like developed a cottage industry of like non, like not journalists, but just like everyone paying very close attention to every like piece of news. And I saw an interesting quote from Vincent D'Onofrio responding to this article I don't know if you saw this. No, please tell me. He was, he was saying like, look, this is literally every, like every project. Like he's like every cool project I've ever worked on has had things like this behind the scenes where we had to scrap stuff or we had to restart. Like, this is not weird. This is just like something that people are treating as big news. And so it's like getting a lot of attention. I think that like, 
that's not to, you know, nullify like the the parts of this that are big oh. news. But I think oh, that when sure. he's talking to Daredevil, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Like, yes, because for all we know, things like that happened on the Daredevil Netflix yes. show. Yeah. But like in 2015 and 2017, like people just and weren't. It, to your point, even during the height of Marvel's powers, like in 2014, I don't ever remember it being a thing of like, they let this one showrunner go. Oh my gosh, Hollywood Reporter, right. figure out what's going on. What's broken? Like, yeah, it just wasn't a right. thing. It was like, this. yeah, this stuff probably just happened all the time. I, Which, you know, again, I think that like both both things are true, but I do wonder, even talking about the Lucas like fan reaction stuff like that really started what the last the last jedi came out in 2017 i think and i think that's yes, when like good the, point it started to become very clear that like oh fans were upset so now they're going to just make like a very clear left turn the year and, i lost my star wars fandom yes man which was like 2019 like when that movie actually came out and we saw the results of that and so i guess my point is it does feel like kind of a recent development and but it also as we've discussed here and offline feels like something that uh like that feels like a piece that's sort of playing out a bit or or maybe is on the verge of being played out where like i i think that maybe this is like a, the end of a cycle and marvel's trying to kind of get back to a way of doing this that's a little bit I don't know, um, a little bit more like how it was if the fan community will allow that. There's a, there's a lot There's a lot in there that we'll have to talk about well, speaking later. Of when a we don't have a Loki episode to cover. I was going to say, speaking of a show <laughs> that they are killing right now, let's get into Loki Season 2, Episode 2, after a quick word from these sponsors. I know you're never supposed to talk about technical things on air, but one last thing, if you're watching this, yes, I realize my face is so red and the color is all off because I'm letting you watch this beautiful sunrise behind me. So I figure I can either stop this and fix it, but then get rid of the <laughs> golf course behind me. Or since you see my face all the time, why don't you just watch the sunrise instead and wow. just accept that I'm in shadows. Okay. So just get over it's it. It's like the beginning of Lion King over there. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what's happening behind me. And you're seeing this giant <laughs> red Kool-Aid man right here on screen instead. This is this is when you're supposed to sing the opening note of the Lion King, of the of Circle of Life in exact in a hotel? key. In a casino hotel at 7 a.m.? <laughs> no! That's good. You don't realize how much I actually listen to that because of my daughter and because I love Hans Zimmer and Elton John and all that. So, all right. Uh, I thought episode two was really good, not as good as the first. If this is the weakest point, to me, this is still far above the weakest point of season one, which for me was mm. momentous. I am still fully in on this. I'm going to basically just from a critical perspective, give two complete compliment sandwiches. Okay. And then okay. you can quickly react to that. And then I just want to get into some of the plot and question things um, as well as obviously hear what you thought, but uh, we haven't talked about it per usual. Okay. Compliment sandwich. Number one, mm -hmm. Mobius is becoming one of my favorite characters in the entire MCU, mm -hmm. not just Disney plus. 
not only the way his character is written, I thought there was a really incredible, pivotal scene in this episode when he and Loki are talking about his emotional outburst over X5, over Pi. And I loved Loki pointing out like, don't you want to go see what your life was like? What if it was really good? And I love Owen Wilson's performance of him getting overly frustrated going, I don't want it to be good. Why would I want to know if my life was actually really good? And I want that rattling around in here now. And I thought like huge step forward in character development. I'm falling in love with Owen Wilson's acting. Maybe one of Mm -hmm. my favorite performances, not this episode, but just in general, of a character in the MCU. We're talking now from top 10 to like top seven, top six at this point. Wow. That's how much I'm enjoying Mobius. That's compliment number one, the sandwich part of it. This episode felt a touch off to me. Something Mm. about it, like the times they lingered the pacing, felt good, but then all of a sudden certain things would get rushed into the next thing. And it just felt a little bit off. And I'm going to get into that with my next compliment sandwich. And then this is perhaps the best Loki slash Tom Hiddleston to me over season one, over the Avengers. Now I feel like this is a Tom Hiddleston who is so settled into what he is. I loved the callbacks to the villainry of him. Uh Like, yeah. And, and Tom getting some of the evil laughs back and that exaggerated long smile and his two long monologues that felt like Avengers to me. And I like seeing a little bit of the shout out there, you know, like him going like, well, Brad, you know, like that's exactly how right. he would have done it in 2012. So I, I like the callback there. I like the callback to him being the God of mischief. And I just think Tom is extra settled in to where his reactions don't feel as over the top or out of place. It doesn't feel, tell me, it doesn't feel like that anymore. Right. <laughs> So that's my first compliment sandwich. Mobius is becoming one of my favorites. This episode felt a touch off, and this might be the best version of Loki we've ever had. Wow. Uh, I basically agree with all that. Oh, really? I felt like the strongest parts of this episode for me were the the Mobius-Loki scenes. It feels like this is a version of the character that... And we talked about this some last week, but I think it's, it's made even more clear here like the the issues that i had from time to time in season one with like is like is this loki like is is this like and i feel like people think i'm splitting hairs with that sometimes correct like and it's not that i'm saying like i should be able to watch the avengers and go straight from that to loki and it should be the exact same because like i'm not no one's watching it that way i get it i'm not saying that I think that I just like one thing that the MCU has always really hinged on is its continuity. And so whenever something doesn't feel like a totally natural transition, I think it, it can be kind of glaring. And I do feel like there were there were moments in season one, even moments that I really liked, by the way, like that you just don't. I was thinking about this this whole episode, actually. You don't really see Loki being very like effective like as a like as like a warrior like as like a god of mischief as like a person <laughs> like it feels but, like but when you, you look do. back at season one no no now oh, you do oh, okay, but okay. like I, I think back on season one like you see sylvie being really effective you right. see mobius you see like people in the tva and you do He's see Loki, constantly like, humbled yeah you're right right 
And he does like obviously succeed in certain ways. And I'm not trying to take away from those moments, but it's just kind of nice to see like the chase in episode two where he's chasing Brad. Like I was sitting there at first thinking like, man, okay, Loki is a God. Like they make a big deal of that in the first Avengers when it's like that he is like on, he can go toe to toe with pretty much any of the Avengers minus Hulk. And so like really like this guy that's just for all we know, like a person should not be able to put up a big fight. And I like that. Like he did the show leans into that. Like, cause at first I was like, man, how is he getting away from Loki? Like, couldn't Loki just use magic and like teleport or do, you know, kind of whatever nonsense he normally does. And I liked that then. Yeah. He basically does that. Like he tricks him with like, the all of the fake versions of himself and is he also projecting the entire crowd of people in that scene yes i think so 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 it's like it's just such a like i really liked that like okay we're not in the tva anymore he doesn't have the collar on he can use all of his power and it's like yeah this is like this feels like if you took the loki from the avengers but you like put him through all the character development of season one yep and then like spit him back out into like the real world. Yeah. It feels like a lot more, uh, feels more cohesive to me. That was actually the first part of my second compliment sandwich. Uh, but yes, I like seeing his power. I loved the shadow stuff and Mobius in the trailer yeah. kept always saying in the trailer, isn't this a little over the top you think? And everyone always thought it was about the like outfits and stuff they're wearing. But uh-huh. I love that it was actually kind of a subtle little red herring because he was talking about him using all the shadow stuff. And you, we got to see Loki shoot the green stuff out of his hand, like a repulsor blast, which is kind of new. You right. know, it's from season one-ish. Yeah. But we saw that. Then we got to see him use straight magic where he's projecting himself or he's like the force, taking the temp right, pad out right. of X5's hands and throwing it. Obviously uh-huh. the projection. And then you get to see the shadow stuff. And then later what it looks like for him to team up with Sylvie and do like an explosion of it. So yes, I totally right. agree. I totally agree. So much of season one is him being humbled. So you get a lot of sequences like when they go to Oshkosh and he tries to do Mobius. And I think right. that's important because they're trying to show us that Mobius can play the heavy keys too. Like Mobius is not an idiot, which is why they're doing right. that. But Conversely, because they're doing that, yes, Loki's the one that's often failing. Like, and then remember when they go right back to the TVA and Mobius says, Let me guess your plan is to do this so you can get to the timekeepers. Yeah. And he's like, No, like that's the kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, he's getting figured out by Mobius. And, which I understand why. But it's fun to now see like we're on Earth. He has the power. Like, do it. Well, and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because and again, I don't I I really like I rate season one of Loki very very yes. highly uh I'm not bashing it no 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 but that is like that's something in season one that always irked me a tad because I I feel like in I think a lot of the things that 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 irked me in terms of Loki's characterization in season one are really almost like a, a development of what Taika started in, in Ragnarok. And I don't just mean like story wise. I mean, like if you watch Ragnarok, Loki is really like, there are some really good emotional moments that he has with Thor. And I really appreciate those, but it's one of my least favorite, like Loki movies, just because 
he kind of like he's bumbling a little bit. You know, it's like he starts off and Thor comes in and like you're expecting him to have taken over from from Odin and it be the sinister thing. But instead, he's kind of just like joking around. And then he, they go to Earth and he's kind of immediately humbled by Strange. And then like once he gets to Sakaar, yes, he's like been able to manipulate his way up. But then whenever it comes time for him to like fight Valkyrie, he gets bested. And then like he tries to betray Thor at the end and Thor bests him. And I like all of those beats like in isolation. And Ragnarok also is one of my favorite MCU projects. So I'm not really taking issue with that as a whole. But it feels like the creators of season one took that and really ran with it where it's like, sure. okay, here's another season of Loki, like just kind of getting it handed to him over and over and over. And so it's nice to see like a, a bit of a reversal here on that front. Cause I thought that in Loki season one, like what you're talking about, it's not just the, like, it's not just that he is that, that Mobius like is able to see through him and, and get the better of him. It's also like whenever I'm watching it, like, say what you will about Thor the Dark World, obligatory reference. Yes. Uh, but there are moments where Loki is talking to Thor in that. And I actually don't know, <laughs> because of the way it's written, Marcus McFeely, and because the way that, that Hillerson portrays too. it, I really, like, I don't know if Loki's planning to betray Thor in certain moments. Like, I really can't tell because you could see, like, you see what makes him such an effective liar and so effective, like, in the role that we've always known Loki in. And in Loki season one, whenever I feel like, again, like, he should kind of be in that same headspace because Thor the Dark World was the follow-up in the sacred timeline, then, like, every time he's, like, trying to be sneaky, I always, like, as an audience member, I can always see through it in a way that, like, was always a bit disappointing for me, like, whenever he goes back to the TVA and the scene you're talking about where he's like, Oh, I'm like steps ahead of you. And Moby's is like, let me guess, like you're going to try to take over the TVA. And it's like, like I, that's a moment where I wish Loki was actually like steps ahead of that. Right. Like, because that is the obvious thing that Loki would do. And I would prefer it if like, yes, Mobius can see through, but then there's like another step. And maybe even if Mobius can see through that and we have like a little chess match, but like there are all those moments where I'm like, this isn't really conniving. Like, this is just kind of like. That was a little bit of the turnoff for me from the childish fight of Lamentis where they're like, well, cut your heart out. Well, then you can't enchant me. My mind's too strong. Like, it just feels like it just felt right. Right. Yeah. Almost backwards there where I'm like, I want to see a more conniving version that he is steps ahead of Sylvie and, and doesn't have to like proclaim it. <laughs> anyways, right. anyways, that's actually Which, uh, in a weird way, a compliment to what we're watching now is the whole point of this. Oh, entire no, thing. no, totally. And, and even to the point just before I forget, and then, cause I want to hear the rest of your compliment sandwich. I feel like they even, almost referenced that the lamentous episode here with like Brad offering Loki a drink and him yeah. like intentionally refusing it, which is such a like, cause lamentous, the whole thing is he kind of ruins the whole mission cause he gets drunk. And I but, think that, but that even there, even there it, it's, it's Mobius who says, Oh, you can have a drink. And then Loki says right. he's running, isn't he? Yeah. Like, like Loki already knows. 
Mm-hmm. It, it says, instead of Loki being one step behind in season one, now it feels like he's kind of one step ahead. And that's fine. Yeah. And I love that because I feel like that's what makes Loki a, f- a fun, like when that character is at its best, like in the Avengers, which is still, I think, my my favorite version. It's because you like, there's a little bit of the Heath Ledger Joker to it where you don't, you never really know what his goal is. Like you can't figure out where he's heading or what he what he's thinking. Or like the torture scene here. You got a little bit of that, right? Yes. One step ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to change the first part of my second compliment sandwich because we just said that. Um, this is a pacing compliment sandwich and plot type thing. Whereas the first mm-hmm. compliment sandwich is kind of acting. I like some of the drawn out nature of the scenes and sets. Like instead of it being a, a show that's focused on going from place to place really snappy. Mm-hmm. It's very few sets that they're lingering for a long time. So the X5 interrogation scene is a good six minutes. Then they go to McDonald's and you have like an interior shot and an exterior shot. And Mm -hmm. they're there for 10 minutes. And I actually think I kind of like it. It feels like it's grounding me. I like that the scenes feel like they have an ability to breathe. Mm -hmm. And they can really discuss things. Like, for example, Sylvie says to Loki, make it quick because I only have a five-minute lunch break or whatever. And then Loki still takes a deep breath and doesn't say anything for 20 seconds, 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the pacing of that for most of this. Now, the caveat there is, obviously, at some point, I'm going to want it to escalate, you know, and right. it can't all be like that. But right now, I'm enjoying just living in it. The middle part of the sandwich, I was confused at times as to what's going on just in mm-hmm. general. I had to say on discord, Michael Scott explained to me like I'm five years old. I was a little bit confused as to like, why does Loki desperately need Sylvie? What did Brad know? Like why was Brad running at the beginning of the episode? Did, was Brad telling the truth when he found Sylvie and then, and then hid instead and lived his life on the timeline. If, somebody can go back to their timeline. Does that get confusing with the branched nature of it? And then like ultimately Mm -hmm. the plan of docs bombing all the timelines seemed like that wasn't the core of the episode, but then all of a sudden it happened at the end. We're like, maybe they were behind a step and that's the argument there. So I'll get to that in one second, but I was just a little bit confused in general as to what is Loki even trying to prevent and why even right. try to find Sylvie that intensely? Because he didn't even know what he was trying to prevent at the time. Right. So why were they so set on it? Um, I have some answers to that, by the way. That was just in the moment how I felt. And then I want to say I am really hooked with where it could go, though. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Is I'm very intrigued now where we left the TVA, how we left Loki and Sylvie and their relationship, what Mobius is going through slash feeling the dysfunction with the the TVA as a whole, also the technical Mm -hmm. dysfunction with uh, OB and what's happening with the timeline, et cetera. I'm very intrigued on where it can go. So I like some of the pacing of the drawn out scenes, although I was a little bit confused what was happening at times. I am still intrigued and hooked on where it could go. There you go. I, again, I I think I'm, I'm pretty much with you there. Um, I, I noticed talking about the, both the pacing and, and the production, I guess, uh, on the the negative side, yeah, I, I I felt like some I felt some of those pacing things. It just wasn't as crisp as 
the first episode was. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I felt like some of that was some of that was the writing. Like there were a couple things where it, it wasn't um, it was never bad. But like, for example, there's a line where Casey's talking about when they're like when he's trying to figure out uh, where Renslayer's tempad is or, or isolate that. And he uses the phrase, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. And like those are little moments to me where I, f- I feel like there are in some episodes, like in what I would consider to be like the elite episodes of Marvel television or the elite films, like that would be a line that would either get too cliche like cut, would make it yeah like I, I, or like they would find a way to kind of invert it or twist it or make it funny or like go like if you're going to use like the phrase that everyone's heard normally i think that like the marvel way is to to play with it a little bit hmm. and make it i know that that's such a nitpicky thing it's not that the like that that bothered me it's just like something where i'm like oh like i almost expected him to, to go somewhere else with that and then to just hear a it's character like a say needle it's in like a haystack, for, except yeah. you know bring a magnet or like, like Tony yeah, Stark yeah no exactly because yeah. we've already had like yeah we've had yeah. that exact yeah. that exact exchange in a very memorable you know kind of Whedon-esque way and so again not a huge issue but I think maybe indicative of just like like it's not like it's it's good writing. It's not great writing, I guess, it, okay. in, at certain points in this episode. But then, I, I would say like one thing that I that I liked, uh, you know, if we're talking about the pacing and the writing not being like top top tier for me, I I really liked the production. I really liked like what you were talking about, some of the sets, but also like that thing that Loki pulls in to torture Brad. Like, I love that it's this, like, clunky, physical, rolling thing. The imagination not, of the entire TVA is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and, and I just, they I love They could have brought in like any a, kind of interrogation tool. They could have brought right. in anything that we would have been used to. But yes, I love that it's right. a total clunky, well, and, new, like, it looks like a vacuum almost. Okay, yeah, because what they could have done easily is just had the remote and you press the button and it puts them in a box. Like, that's all they needed. Like you didn't, you Good didn't point. have to even have that thing, but I love it. Like, I love that. Yes. Like there's that whole kind of theater of bringing the thing in and it just fits with the vibe of the TVA as kind of this like mid century bureaucracy. Like it's futuristic, but it's not like, like, I love that. It's not just a CGI fest there, which it totally could be. It's the TVA all, in general totally could be. It almost has hints of Wes Anderson kind of. Doesn't it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, which Some Owen of the Wilson's probably giving giving to, but yeah. And then here's the other thing, and I'm not not to beat this to death. I said this last week, but it has so many shades of Silo, the Apple TV show. Here's why, and this is not spoiling anything for Silo, but the whole point of Silo is these people live underground in a silo tunneled like 150 floors into the ground, and it's a giant circle ring where everyone lives. But because of that. All the like politics. Well, I actually and, never knew what that show was about. Oh, all the politics and economy and stuff all depend on what floor you're on in the silo, right? Because there's actual physical barriers, but then there's weirdness going on. It's a great show. I'm not trying to spoil anything. Right. But one of the things is like there's the people down below and the down bottoms, and they have to like go down to see them and and they do like the engineering work and 
that's what this feels so much like, where there's all these quirky rooms, like there's a pie room or like a relaxation room. There's a lunch room, there's a cafeteria in the TVA. Now we're seeing there's like a repair shop with OB at the very bottom of the elevator, below the right. first floor. It's very similar to Silo, and I love it. It's kind of like building out the world in this weird, in that case, it's a silo. In this case, it's like a TVA outside of time building and what that looks like. Right. I have one question on the actual technical nitty gritty. This is so Nitty gritty. This is me being a producer wanting to know. For all of our film friends out there, maybe Connor can help with this. Are they shooting mm. this with like heavy, heavy film influences? Because there's an actual film grain on the whole thing. Have you noticed that? Like a heavy film yeah, grain that yeah, yeah. wasn't on season one. I'm guessing they're trying to intentionally set the TVA in a 70s feeling thing. But I'd love to mm -hmm. know what they actually shot it on. This is so nerdy. Is it 24 frames per second? which is like pretty grainy, slow, choppy almost. Yeah, I that's a good, no, that's a good but I question. But I want someone to actually write in and answer that question for me. Yeah. What's the technical thing they're doing right now? Because it's very grainy. Kind of in can a cool I, Can I ask, I know that we're going to get into some of the questions that were raised here. That's uh, how I want to close the episode. Last 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I want to ask one kind of big question that I've thought about, uh, just talking about the TVA. I thought about this in season one. I'm sure we talked about it some there, but I, I keep, I keep wondering, okay, the, the way that the TVA was initially explained to us, uh, it, it covers like the entire universe, right? I mean, I, I guess technically the multiverse, but it's the universe because of the work that they're doing, not just like, not just earth, so technically, I mean, because like we're, we're talking about like Lamentus, we're talking about like Mobius bringing in Titans and vampires and like, but it's just these two Lokis. I think that one thing that I've that I've liked uh, in some ways about season two is it's starting, it's trying to expand the scope of the TVA. But I think one thing I struggle with a little bit is like, if that is the case, like, why is like, why is all of it so earth-tied? And why are there only, like, a handful of people that we ever come across here? Like, I'm, like shouldn't the TVA be, like, this massively, like, sprawling thing that we, like, see, see, like, out the window? Like, we saw briefly in episode one. This is not a critique, really. This is just me, like, maybe clarifying. Like, it, I, I know that you can only cover so much in a show, so I'm not, like, we should have a cast of thousands of people. I'm just saying like it it does it feels kind of like a small organization for how big it should be, right? In terms of like the people that we're actually interacting with. I totally agree. The obvious answer back to that would be, you know, they don't have time to show everything that's happening. So we're kind of zoomed in on one little chapter in the TVA. It happens to be an important chapter, but we're only seeing these characters. Like, would it benefit you that much to also then constantly see vampires being brought in or whatever? I understand what right. you're saying, but I think we're just getting one little peek. The second thing I would I push back on is... It feels a little bit like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 with Counter-Earth, where maybe in the MCU, in that galaxy, there is a recognition that Earth is special. 
Mm. a little bit over some of the other places. I mean, we've had that reference in Guardians 3. We've had that reference kind of from Thanos where he knows Earth. Even Asgard is aware of what Midgard is. And so maybe there's a little bit of an emphasis on Earth. Obviously, the real reason there's an emphasis on Earth is because that's where they want to shoot it in real life. But, but, But maybe in the MCU canon, there's an emphasis because Earth is a little bit different than a lot of other places. And then I'd also say there's probably a little bit of an emphasis, although season one emphasized like Lamentus, et cetera. But I think there's a little bit of an emphasis on Earth just because Sylvie and Brad, if they want to go to the sacred timeline anywhere and live their life, I don't think those are bad places to choose. Like Sylvie just wants peace. I don't know how many places in the galaxy you can just go kind of be in Oklahoma and not be bothered as easily. So I think in this case, like, do we even know that when the sacred timeline was being bombed, sorry, when all the branches were being bombed at the end of the episode, do we even know if that was on Earth? Because remember, they go through another tempad. Like, that could have been a different planet. That's true. That's true. That could have been. And and like, yeah, there is the, you're right. I mean, like, there's the the fact that, that Kang slash he who remains is a, a human, like yeah, that's that true. also it's, like that it, ground, like that makes sense. So if he built the TVA, his ideas are coming from a human brain, and like what his right. experience I mean, was. Because I do think it, it, at least from what, and this is maybe this is a question I, I also had in season one. Like, are there different TVA departments that are like totally populated? Like, like all the analysts are like aliens like you know like we've got like Cree that were pulled out from like their spot on the timeline or is every ant like is every tva worker human it sure feels Period. like they're human right now because even all the extras are humans in the background right but we've also never like we've never gone anywhere in loki yeah where there are not like because even lamentus everyone looks human you know so i guess like i i'm just wondering I think it's a fair question. I'm not believing the question. I think that there are just practical hurdles that they're just avoiding. They're avoiding. They don't want, they don't want to spend a bunch of time on CGI of aliens, for example, probably in a show. But I I get what you're saying. I think in theory, in theory, the answer is yes, there are. We just won't ever see. Yeah, no. And I think that like it, there is just a, it's something that I think about sometimes with, with Marvel projects, but also just, anything where you're you're dealing with kind of sci-fi stuff here um like i think it's a real challenge to make sure that like if you're going to try to make something super super grand that you you find ways just little bits here and there to show the scope of it because there are parts sometimes where it's like okay the fact that like but then i i don't know i i think the answer to my to the question i'm asking is he who remains like that because i he's a human he he He's human and also like everything we saw in season one, he made happen. Like that was all intentional. So like that takes some of the, cause part of me is always like the fact that the one judge that we met in season one happens to be like the, like the person that has known he who remains forever well, feels very convenient, but well, then it kind of makes sense because yeah. he led them on that entire journey and led her on that journey. Again, so I think the scope of the TVA is massive. We're only seeing one chapter. However, we're seeing a very, very, very important sect of the TVA, clearly, because the whole TVA is falling apart, and we're seeing the people that are trying to work on it (laughs) right now. Right. Uh, And I think in that case, yeah, you saw Renslayer intentionally because of her connection with He Who Remains and all this. Um, A couple of things for me really quickly. 
At first, I was curious, why did they even need to get to Sylvie? And then I was a dum-dum, and Greg, I think, responded on Discord and pointed out that I think not only is Loki wanting to get to her because of emotional ties, but because he saw the future and she's in it. And so what does that mean? Like, I know I have to find her. Even that is a little interesting for me because even if you didn't find her, you saw the future where she shows up and you see her again. So like, does he feel like he has to play a role in getting her there? Which is, uh, again, yeah. this feels so much like season five of Lost with the time travel stuff, which is, and, and I, and I mm-hmm. love it. Is it the whole show? Is it whatever happened, happened? Or can they influence it? So when we get to the scene mm-hmm. again of Loki in the future, will he be there? Will he have been the one that influenced it? Or is everything they're doing in trying to prevent this war going to be the very catalyst, the incident, if you will, that leads to the war? Mm -hmm. Meaning like, are we seeing the beginnings of the war because they're trying to prevent it? Which I love. Yeah. And that's, that was literally the entire season of, of season Mm -hmm. five of lost. Like, did the bomb go off? Was the incident caused by them in the, in the past? And the whole time they're dealing with the ramifications or right. if they don't push it, will the incident happen? Right. Right. I need to, we'll do a check in on this. If I remember next week, uh, cause I, I'm, I really like, I think at this stage in the show, uh, I'm happy with the questions that I have and with not knowing any, any more than I do. I do feel like, like my sense is that we're going to get some like, he who remains or like King variant appearances in the next episode to kind of move it forward and, and maybe also start getting at least some answers, even if we get additional questions out of those. Uh, I think if we don't by the end of next episode, I'm going to start to get a little like a little antsy. Yeah. Just because like these episodes felt pretty contained, like isolated, like, Oh, we had a time skipping problem. Then we fixed it. Oh, we have like a need to find Sylvie branching problem. Oh, we fixed it. You know? Right. Well, and like I was talking to some folks that watched episode one and, uh, you know, I always like talking to, to people that I know that are not MCU mega fans that are just people that are watching the MCU just to kind of get their reaction. And as much as we loved episode one, and I think almost everybody loved, even these people that I was talking to loved episode one. I I heard several times like, yeah, I'm just a little unsure what's going on. <laughs> like I so, love so it. So was I. So was I. Yeah. That, that I think was you're, suppo- you're supposed to kind of be there. Uh, well, that's but I think because at some like, point. You, okay. Sorry. I'm interrupting you. You're right. Oh, no, no, no. Well, that, but I just think at some point they'll have to let people know kind of like what to follow, like what to be like, cause you have to know what the significance is for the cliffhanger to be a cliffhanger. Otherwise you're kind of just like, wow. Yeah. Right. Cool. Some of the interruptions, by the way, is just from the technical delay. It's always easier when we're in person together to just, you know, Oh yeah. Yang, no. yang, yang. Um, I was going to say, okay. The very last shot is, the entire TVA having an emotional reaction to these branches being clipped. And I think there's a lot in that because for example, I don't feel that emotionally moved by it. Some people in the TVA didn't, but then you had Uh Hunter B 15. Who's like incredibly distressed about this. Mobius is distressed. Sylvie's distressed. 
And then I'm thinking, why don't I feel super distressed? And I think a little bit of all this comes back to the questions we were just having. I don't even know that I know or Loki knows even what he's trying to prevent. So like, is Kang trying to get to the TVA? Is Kang trying to take over each individual branch? Like in Sylvie's branch, there's a Kang that Mm -hmm. eventually is going to find her. Is that what he's worried about? Or is he worried about him stopping the TVA from what they're doing? And I think that all plays into even Loki's conflict with should I like should I feel sad that these branches are being stopped like is it predetermined I'm not saying that's a bad thing I'm saying I think he's feeling that too where it's like what are we fighting for like I know he wanted to find Sylvie but then it's like I'm supposed to feel bad that these branches are all clipped because that's millions of lives that now don't exist but it also ironically, right, kind of buys the TVA more time. Like it buys OB more time if these branches are clipped, right? Right. Now the thing's not overloading as much. And like it does get rid of the other Kang variants that he's trying to prevent. Yeah. But he's supposed to feel sad about it. And I think that entire conflict that he's sitting in is what I'm sitting in as an audience. Like that that moment's never going to hit for me as emotionally because I don't even know if I'm supposed to be cheering for it or not. And, And then how that actually practically looks, I don't know either. That's where I was kind of left at the end of it. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I, I I think I really do feel like I, I need some I need some clarity and I need some some things to move along further in episode three. Again, that's not even an indictment of this episode Correct. because I think at, at the end of this first kind of third, I'm okay with where it is. But I I I really want to know like I I think that at the end of episode two of of Loki season one. And granted, you know, it's a lot easier. There's a lot less going on. But, like, I had a pretty clear sense of where we were. Like, they were looking for this variant. Loki finds him. But instead of turning her in, he goes with her somewhere. Like, what is that? Like, how is that going to impact things? What's, like, you understand kind of what's at stake at that point. And and Loki's trying to get away from Mobius still. It's more simple on paper. Right. If anything, that's what people were upset with about Lamentus. Is they were like, oh, no, there's this story I'm really into. And now you're taking me away from it. Correct. But I... Like, I don't know what I'm uh, actually on the edge of my seat about for here. Like, other than just I'm enjoying the show and I'm really excited to see, like, there are bigger picture things I want followed up on, but most of them are threads that were left dangling from the finale, from, like, season one. Not anything that's happened as much here. Okay, okay. But I thought there were actual issues with Lamentis that I don't feel in either of these first two episodes. So oh, sure. if the plane is landed in episode three, four, five, six, I'll never look yeah, back yeah. at two as like a lull. Does that make sense? I, oh, just no, absolutely. right now where we're yeah. paused, I don't know. But I still think that yeah. that's not one that's irredeemable because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. No, no. I, I think really this is the only reason I'm even talking about this here is because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm articulating what I need episode three to do. And so if we kind of come back, I, I want to then be able to respond to that based on how it delivers. I think we are in, in desperate need, not just for Loki, but for the, like, if this entire MCU saga is about the multiverse. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I really need, like, I, I, I need some <laughs> exposition. <laughs> like, I need some clarification. Yeah. I just need to know the stakes. Like, I'm losing track of the stakes. 
And I, that's not like that's not again, the show's I, fault. But yes. no, 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 no. It well, it's not the show's fault except like I, I you know, we talked about this at the time, and, and they bring this up in the MCU book. But like you know, Waldron he jokes about how he kind of opened up this Pandora's box in the Loki finale and, and how he was going to make somebody else come in and, and deal with the ramifications of that. And then it was him that had to kind of follow up on that multiverse of madness. And then he kind of kicked the can again, I think in multiverse of madness, because he did explain in incursions, but like, Barely. It was, yeah, it, it was just barely because it was dream, dream walking. What do they call it? We uh, are in desperate need of a movie that just straight lays out the stakes. You're right. Like, here's and, what's happening, guys. And then, then you can right. still get away from that and do a side project. Like, you could still do Captain America and it has nothing to do with that. That's fine. But yeah, we need right. something to just clarify. And maybe that will be this, the last four episodes. Maybe it will just straight up tell us, okay, like maybe episode six of this is like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. It's so clear. Like Kang's here now. Yeah. This is what it looks like. And, and yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, we didn't get a lot of that until the finale. I saw some people on Discord pointing that out, like when we're looking at Loki season one. So I, and I still want the finale here. Like I would love for it to get the chance to be as impactful as the season one finale was. But I still think that like we need, I, I just, I need to know to your point what it is that everybody is after and like, I, I, I do feel like there are just the only issues that I had with this episode, because I, I, I you're right. I don't want to hold like hypothetical things that, that may or may not come against this episode. And I'm not trying to. The only things here that I felt were maybe some like like as much as I loved the continuity on the Loki side and on the Mobius side, like because even what you're talking about with him, like getting mad at Brad, I'm glad we got that from Mobius because I, I was asking some of the same questions that Brad and Loki are asking with like, aren't you bothered that like, you now know that you're a variant, like, and I like seeing him finally engage with that. But there were some characters like, I, I'm having a little bit of a hard time buying the, the B-15 transition to like, she is now like so hardcore in the camp of like a zealot. It is, yeah. It's like it's like genocide when we're take when we're we're like cutting off all these branches. And I get it. Like she didn't know that she, they were she saw they were her all variants before, life and that's what did it. Which I to, I I buy on paper. I'm just not sure I buy it on screen. Like I like it's yeah. such a like somber moment for her. Like and she builds it up where she's like Moby. She have to get back here. Like, and like, I was like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? Like, what are they walking back into is, is like, is there a version of Kang there? Like, is there something? And so to me, it felt like, oh, they're like watching all the timelines get pruned, but that's literally what the TVA has been doing, like yeah. as their main job I for its, all of its existence. Uh, that's a little again, bit of what I was hinting at at the end there or like the emotional no, yeah, driver yeah. in episode one where she's like, no, do you not understand? We're committing atrocities and I'm, I'm not as moved as I probably should be. Well, especially because like I, that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be overly glib, but like, I get that she didn't know prior to that, that she was a variant. I get that. 
but she knew that they were that they were cutting off timelines. Like that's not news. Like they always knew that. Yeah, just because now it's humanized, I guess. But yeah, you're right. I guess now like the timelines exist. Like it used to be like they were basically cutting them off at the inception point, and now it's like yeah, because four people had they, lives and. But even I, I don't know. But again, part, all of this is kind of coming back to me of like I just want to know. What is the difference? Is there one? Like, how long has that timeline been branching in real time for those people? And does it matter? Like, are you actually, like, killing those people, really? Or are you just, like, erasing the choices that they've made or that have been made that took them, like, however far down this branch? And, like, what does that mean temporally? Like, how, like, how much time has passed in each branch since He Who Remains was killed? Because it looks not not a ton if you're looking on the like, like uh, where the branches are. <laughs> yeah, but, but I just you, don't know what it yeah. even means. But yeah, you don't know how long each one is. <laughs> I don't know what the like. I don't know what the scale What's is. The ratio? I need a map key. What's I the need map? a map key. <laughs> I need a map key. Every six inches on that screen is six thousand years. Okay, so you gotta you know put your hand up. Yeah. See, that's all. That's all I need. Then I can extrapolate or Lance will for me on Discord. <sighs> That's all we have, Lance. That's all we have for listeners. Thank you for listening. This is such a fun community to be a part of. I'm closing this episode, but in my typical spiel, I would just say thank you and all that stuff, and I do mean it so much. Just know that this is a special week, Ravi, because this is the week Spider-Man 2 comes out. So before you hear my Ooh. voice again, you might see me on YouTube playing Spider-Man 2. Oh, my gosh. And then I'm really excited for Loki episode 3. Feels like it's got to be a little bit pivotal. It's a good time mm-hmm. to be alive right now. It uh, is. Side note, I'm going to go see the creator tonight in my hotel movie theater. Oh, nice. So nice. We'll see. Oh, and talking about uh, talking about this week, I did want to give a quick update just because I, I think we said this a few episodes ago. We are going to be soon doing our first ever uh, kind of non-Marvel comic book club entry. We kind of started off with this merging of the comics corner and the comic book club with the Hickman run, which is still going on. But uh, we're doing a couple of seasonal things this year. And so we're going to be reading at least one uh, horror comic here for Halloween. And I I think I talked about us reading this Tinian Nice House on the Lake book. We still are. A lot of people, I think, have already pre-ordered that. I talked with the Organic Christ Books folks. It not because of them, but I think just because of the publisher. That release date was pushed back a week, I believe. Uh, so that will come if you ordered that, or if you're interested in ordering that, it will still come in in time for us to read it and talk about it for the Halloween, uh, celebration, but know that like, that's what's going on. If you haven't yet, I would still recommend pre-ordering that, uh, cause I'm really excited to go through something a little bit different. I know Candace is also, as I've, uh, made her go through endless amounts of Hickman comics. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that interests you, um, I'm really excited about getting into some of this some of this stuff because I think for people that maybe have never known how to get into comics, uh, I think some of these like indie books are are maybe a, a good on ramp. Uh, so if that interests you, check out Friends from Work Plus and check out Organic Price Books uh, because everything we're going to be reading you can find there. Use our promo code if you go there. Friends from work, all one word. By the way, my brain literally looks like the branch timelines you see on the screen. That's my brain right now. Because as we (laughs) go to wrap these episodes, you brought that up. 
that's just one tiny aspect of things I want our audience to know, but there's so many. Like we have right. a new episode coming out next week with Candace and Emily. That's a fun experiment for friends from yeah. plus people covering mm-hmm. a totally different movie. And we talk about it on that episode. I told you about Spider-Man Two YouTube. There's that side of it. And then I've been turning out these football episodes as well, hoping that certain seasons turn around there so I can have some fun guests over there. And then you right. and I did the, the reign of Marvel studios book interview that if you haven't heard, you should check that out. That's really cool. Yeah. We have a tentative maybe with Natalie Holt again, the composer yes. of Loki. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to figure that out. That's why my, my brain is literal spaghetti right now with and all the things that I want into, our audience to know. We're less than a month from the, the Marvels, Marvels, which we have like not even had time to talk about that. All. Right. So yeah, I want to make a friendly reminder, screen recap of the Marvels. I got to do that uh-huh. there. I mean, literally, and then, by the it's, way, if you're if you're a tier three Friends from Work Plus subscriber, we really want you to get your uh, episode submissions in because we want to do something for you guys for being mm-hmm. such dedicated uh, supporters of the podcast. So <laughs> Robbie and I have this group text that we're just constantly churning out ideas. Anyways, you guys all know that already. You also know that we're chatting about these shows on Discord if you find that channel, uh, mm-hmm. Friends from Work on Discord. And then we're on social media posting reactions at the FFW Podcast. And we have a website that I tried to update yesterday, the FFWpodcast.com, where you can find links to not only Friends from Work, but also Friends from Football and Screensaver right there on the homepage. So that can kind of get you all directed. Oh my gosh, it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot. Man, I know. And uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking of other things, but we have to, I have to prioritize. <laughs> There's only so much information. Uh, right. But the headline is, it's a great day to be alive. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here on Friends from Work. A little Travis trip for you.